Blog Talk Radio. Thanks for listening to the Big Time Talker podcast on the Blog Talk Radio Network live from our Washington, D.C. studios, which in reality is is my home and my kitchen table because everybody's out of studios now. We're all hunkered down at home due to the COVID-19 pandemic, and we do appreciate you listening today. My name is Burke Allen, and the Big Time Talker podcast is a service of our friends at Speaker Match and SpeakerMatch.com the United States' largest online virtual speakers bureau. Uh, Speaker Match is a place where meeting planners and speakers from all over the world come together, and in today's world, it's lots of virtual speeches as well. If you'd like to find out more, visit speakermatch.com. Today we're talking public health and emergency preparedness during the COVID-19 outbreak. Um, This pandemic has put a spotlight on systemic health capacity, coverage issues all across America, all across the world, really. Uh, Cases and deaths have risen. They seem to have flattened somewhat now, but the ability to test and treat people, including the uninsured, is a huge challenge. Dr. Kat Johnson joins us today to talk about it. She's a multilingual, nationally certified speech-language pathologist, public health researcher. Dr. Johnson, I imagine you are incredibly busy. I appreciate you taking time to be on the show today. How are you doing? I'm doing well, um, and thank you so much for the invitation. Well, you're very welcome. You, you're in private practice in the, uh, the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and I'm curious as to what the conditions are like there. That's one of the 10 largest metropolitan areas in, in America in terms of, of what you're seeing with boots on the ground for, for COVID-19. Uh, yes, uh, Burke, I'm, uh, as you have already stated, I'm a first responder. I work in rehabilitation at a Children's Health and um, do have my private practice. And we've seen quite a few changes in terms of how we conduct our practice uh, in the acute care setting as well as um, outpatient clinics. However, I must say I believe we've done a very good job of being prepared um, to pivot and provide the necessary services to ensure that our community stays safe. Dr. Johnson, your governor there, uh, Governor Abbott, uh, has, has received a lot of national attention for his efforts to get people back to work in Texas uh, before most other states. Uh, and, and I'm curious as to what your thoughts are there. You know, I, I've spent a lot of time in Texas. It is a land unto itself in that, it's certainly a multicultural melting pot. You also have major metropolitan areas like Dallas, Fort Worth, and Houston, and you also have some very, very rural counties where it's it's like being on two different planets down there. So, in an overall sense, what what's your take on Governor Abbott's uh, efforts to to get people back to work before um, many healthcare professionals, uh, you know, nationally say that that this thing you know still has some life in it. That that is an excellent question, uh, Berg, and I must say I'm very pleased with the thoughtfulness and the um, comprehensive evaluation of the local, county, um, and state 
situation with COVID-19 and their response to uh, what protective equipment is needed at different times throughout the um, surveillance process as well as the manifestation of the disease. I think safety comes first and we all want to be in a position to work and provide for our families. And I feel like our governor has been very thoughtful in terms of how to do that um, and try to maintain some sense of continuity with the services that are obviously um, necessary um, for us to operate and, and do our day-to-day, but also maintain the safety of the population overall. You know, and we're talking to Dr. Kat Johnson, by the way, on the Big Talker bo- uh, podcast today. I, I I certainly feel like, and I'm based here in the Washington, D.C. area, where people tend to talk right past one another an awful lot. I, I tend to find that folks in, in your part of the world uh, tend to not do that, even though what Governor Abbott had to say was was met with mixed results. I, I was struck by how much more um, uh, cordial and respectful the press was when, when asking him about that decision. And it certainly seems like it doesn't have to be an either-or thing. You don't necessarily have to sacrifice uh, public health and safety or – take care of getting people, you know, in a a measured way back to work. Now that's from a layman's perspective. I would be curious as someone that spends a lot of time in public health to get your thoughts on that. Do you, do you buy into that? It doesn't have to be an either or thing. There's a way to, to very carefully thread this needle and do both. Uh, That again is another um, pointed question that we're all asking ourselves what is um, the best for the community, Um, how do we factor in herd immunity, those who have been exposed, um, obviously, in quarantine and versus those who have not been infected, Um, how do we really address this issue um, of uh, maintaining the economy while also maintaining um, the safety of, of the community as a whole? That is what public health is all about. And I think what it boils down to is Um, self-government and understanding that we all have to make a choice. Every day we make a choice to um, wash our hands. We make a choice to uh, work from home or, in my case, uh, go out and uh, do what I need to do as a professional to maintain um, the safety of my patients while also myself. And so, There are lots of federal recommendations and state recommendations and CDC recommendations, but I think it always starts with the individual and understanding their choices and being thoughtful about the positive and negative consequences of those choices. Dr. Kat Johnson is our guest today. If you'd like to be a part of the show, call us at 516-418-5635, or you can always send us a message in our chat room, and we'll be happy to pose those questions and comments to Dr. Johnson You've spent uh, a couple of decades now working with culturally and linguistically diverse kids uh, with a whole lot of different speech, language, and hearing disorders down there. And by the way, Dr. Johnson is the founder of Dr. Loves Healthcare. You may want to look that up online. It's really neat. It's a nonprofit that helps these families get continuity and sort of coordination of care for pediatric rehabilitation therapy. So, you know, Dr. Johnson, forgive me for saying this, but you're one of the good guys you're fighting the good fight out there every day. And I live in uh, the Washington, D.C. suburb of Reston, Virginia, which has a, a very heavy 
uh, Latino population, as does much uh, of Texas. I wonder how you feel about uh, what you're seeing in that community, especially folks where English is a second language, uh, in terms of the communication that that those communities are receiving about the pandemic. Do you feel like, you know, they're being left out on the, in the cold to a certain extent because they're not able to access the same information that we all have? Um, that that's a very good question, and I must say that. There are news outlets um, in the native language of a lot of our community, the largest minority population being Hispanic. And I feel like there are lots of opportunities for misinformation, more so than a lack of information. And right. so I would just encourage the Hispanic community as well as any other community to understand that they must have a filter with the information that they're receiving and be very careful about what they're necessarily tuning into, um, whether it's YouTube or Telemundo or Univision. I know a lot of my um, families with special needs, that's where they get their information. And what we have tried to do, um, as you mentioned, Dr. Love's Healthcare, is educate our families, not feed them with a long-handed spoon, but actually empower them on how to evaluate the information that they're being given, whether it is healthcare information for their child or public health information so that they can make an informed decision for their family. Dr. Johnson, do you, do you work with lots of patients who may have been thrown into economic upheaval, you know, very quickly in the last, gosh, what is it? 45 days now since this whole thing started. Um, You know, there are almost 30 million uh, Americans who uh, have filed unemployment claims. and, And I would imagine uh, if it's like this in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, like it is where I am, lots of those folks are service industry folks, restaurant workers, uh, you know, truck drivers. It cuts across the, the entire economic spectrum. But are you seeing that economic pain exacerbating things much quicker in the immigrant community there? Absolutely, Burke. And it's sad to say because um, we have already, we as a nonprofit organization, and um, ha- having worked in my private practice for 20 plus years and also spending um, 10 years at one of the largest not-for-profit hospitals here in the Dallas-Fort Metroplex, we see this every day. So of course it has exacer- just exacerbated um, matters. Um, what we're also seeing, as you just mentioned, with respect to uh, restaurant workers or other um, laypersons who are no longer employed, that um, and that disables them from access to uh, health care, to health insurance. Right. And so what we're finding is a lot of our privately insured families are now seeking public only funded insurance, insurance, or they are ending up in the ER because they don't have the services that they need. Dr. Kat Johnson is our guest today. She joins us from Dallas you can find uh, her nonprofit online, Doctor Loves Healthcare. She's a, uh, a public health and emergency preparedness researcher who's been at it for a long time. And I, I did want to ask you about your work with with children. And and this may be a little bit outside the 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 technical X's and O's, but when you talk to kids that have uh, any number of these speech and language and, and hearing disorders, when when you communicate with them about the pandemic. Look, this is a scary thing for uh, an adult who understands exactly what's happening. I can't 
wrap my head around what it must be like for a child who may have one of these uh, disorders, you know, whether it's in speech or language or hearing, to to wrap their head around what's going on. What are you seeing with those children that you work with? Oh, that's another very good question, but again, <laughs> something I'm very passionate about. I must applaud my national organization, um, the American Speech Language Hearing Association and the American Public Health Association for really coming together and providing um, very informative, um, educationally appropriate materials so that they can be developed for children with special health care needs, for families um, that are low income and they may not have the socioeconomic or educational means to really understand what's going on. And I, I just, I'm so amazed at how we have transitioned our telehealth model for this particular population so that they can watch videos, they can watch interactive games to understand what personal hygiene really means right now, and then also establishing a routine for our really um, the pervasively developmentally delayed kiddos, such as those with autism, who their routine has been totally changed, and they're right. having to cope with being at home with a parent that may be working at home and really being able to use that telehealth model to help these families who otherwise they would not know what to do or they're, they're just so frustrated that they don't have um, a wherewithal to reach out and get those resources with, without such assistance. You know, you make a great point. Uh, I have a close friend who has a severely autistic son, and you upset that apple cart and you take that kid out of his comfort zone and the way things uh, are supposed to be in his mind, his, his sense of order, and you've got real problems. I mean, there's real chaos there, and, and I would only imagine that that's a scenario that's repeated itself tens of thousands of times across the country, across the world. Absolutely, and um, it can become a very dangerous situation because um, you may let your child go outside for a couple of minutes just to, you know, have a change in environment and there's an accident and somehow that child ends up in the ER and, you know, it becomes this whole unplanned ordeal. And it's, it's very frightening to some of these parents because they're not used to being at home with their child. They don't know what their routine is at school. And they have all of these behaviors that they're having to deal with. Um, and, and they're, they're also trying to keep uh, food on the table, uh, taking care of the basic needs, and also those, those already required um, responsibilities that go with being a parent as well as uh, a worker within the community. Kat Johnson is our guest today. She is one of these folks that researches public health and really knows the ins and outs of the whole thing. Um, And, Doctor, I've got an interesting question here in our chat room, and I'm going to sort of paraphrase it. Um, The the individual asks about what happens to folks who are uh, underinsured or uninsured if they think they have, uh, you know, COVID-19. You know, what happens to those folks? Do they... Do they maybe not even go in to get checked because they don't think they're going to be able to get good health care? Does it become a a quote-unquote burden on the system? What happens to, you know, those out-of-pocket costs? 
uh, for those patients. How does that whole thing work for folks that are uninsured or underinsured when you're dealing with a, a global health crisis like this? Very good question, Bud. So um, as far as I'm concerned, the term uninsured or um, not insured is the same. Because even okay. if you have insurance and you don't have access to those services, it, it, it's a level playing field as far as I'm concerned. And I've seen it over and over. Um, there are two ways, and I can only speak for the state of Texas, um, right. whereby which someone can get evaluated or screened. Uh, there are hospitals such as uh, my hospital, Children's Health, they um, are providing screenings. There's also the local public health department that will do it. Now, they're back up. Um, I'm not saying you can run out and get one, but I do know that if you have a real concern, there is a way to go about um, getting tested uh, locally or with your county. So as a public health researcher, I'd love to get your feedback on, and I'm not asking you to throw anyone under the bus here, but I would ask you to speak freely on your uh, your thoughts on and whether your corner of the world in the Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex were you guys prepared for this? You know, I want to take you back to to you know earlier this year, and, and my goodness, doesn't early March seem like a lifetime ago? See, it literally seems like a year ago. But but you know, were you guys ready for something like this down there? Well. You know, the question is, what is readiness? <laughs> and having been bioterrorism and emergency preparedness trained, you can never be ready. And that's just because there's so many factors that go into play that you don't think about. You can plan and you can say you're ready, but when it, it happens in real time, the question is not if you'll have a problem, it's how you'll address it, how will you pivot with the unplanned part um, or the unexpected. And I feel um, I cannot compare um, the details of what preparation was for where I am versus where someone, say, in California is, but I feel like we have done a very good job of responding and kind of keeping tabs on the changes as they come so that we're able to make an informed decision. Dr. Kat Johnson is our guest today. We're talking COVID-19. She's a public health researcher based in Texas and has been in this field for a couple of decades now. Um, for a layman like me, I, I can't quite wrap my head around why it was so bad in, um, and continues to be just horrible in New York and New Jersey Um as opposed to, as of right now, another very densely populated area like India, which doesn't seem to be struggling nearly as much. Uh, could you sort of break that down for a layman and, and let me know why that is? Because, it, you know, certainly you can understand why a very rural area, if it doesn't take hold, uh, they may be able to, to skate by some of this. But, but when you try to compare apples to apples and you look at you know, the, the slums of Delhi, India, where people are on top of each other, uh, you know, very similar in terms of population density, maybe even more so to, to Manhattan. So so why Manhattan, Queens, that part of New Jersey, why was it slammed so much as opposed to some other densely populated metro areas? 
Oh, that's a wild card question, Burke. So I could come at this from very a lot of different angles, from environmental health to when I say environmental health, I'm referring to potable water and the amount of contact that goes on in a densely populated area such as a city as Manhattan versus New Delhi, India, and also the cultural differences in terms of um, food handling, food preparation. There's, there's just so many factors that go into how something spreads, and that's why, um, you know, the Centers for Disease Control and the epidemiologists are doing their best to kind of try to keep track of, of how this unfolds. Um, this isn't the first coronavirus we've had. This, this is just a different uh, variation. So with that being said, it really boils down to, I would say, um, the level of the frequency of, of contact um, with someone that's infected and it being carried from host to host, and also um, the tracking of it across time in, in an area that is a, it's a small area, so that already increases the risk of contamination, but also the air. Um, the environment, meaning the um, air conditioning systems that we all deal with versus it, when I say we, let me clarify, Manhattan, you're looking at modern, a modern city with certain right. amenities that may not be present in New Delhi. I'm not saying it's, um, you know, it, you can just change your filter and you're, you're good. But my point is there are a lot of different factors that go into uh, how uh, a virus is, is spread and it really boils down to the host. At the end of the day, it boils down to the host, the human biome and its ability to attack anything that should not be there and not proliferate. Proliferate meaning spread. Uh, I've got another great question here from a chat room. This is from Sarah. She's listening in Wichita, Kansas, and she wants to know what um, she said. She's seen reports that, Coronavirus seems to be deadlier to um, African Americans and Hispanic uh, folks, and why that is. What what is the reason for that? Is that a, a genetic thing? Is that an environmental thing? What's your thought on that? Since you work in that uh, those communities quite a bit. Yeah, and that that's another uh, very pointed question that has a lot of different factors, and there's there's I know. It's specific research, which I'm not at liberty to put my finger on and give a specific answer, but it, it goes back to my uh, last answer, my last statement about the human biome. There are things that, are, that genetically predispose us, but in other ways there's the, um, just the human biome, the ability of the um, immune system to respond to uh, something that's attacking them, whether it's rotavirus or um, you know, 6-3 coronavirus or the, the COVID-19 virus, um, the novel coronavirus. That's, that's really what it would boil down to. Um, at least we know in the medical field that African Americans are, you know, they tend to be anemic. And so the question um, goes back to what is the makeup, what is the genetic makeup of that individual, and then generation, uh, generation to generation, how does it, um, affect each um, individual within that generation as as a racial ethnic group, and so that my my one and only answer to that would be 
it's it's simply how the immune system is responding and the and the trend becomes when someone takes the time to track it within that particular racial ethnic group. Dr. Kat Johnson in Texas has carved out some time to speak with us today about emergency preparedness during COVID-19. She's a public health researcher based in the Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex. Um so what about you, Dr. Johnson? What sorts of changes did this bring to your life? You know, what do you do on a daily basis? Do you have uh, you know, PPE, do you wear it every day? Do you uh, social distance? Do you, have you seen patients that, that have tested positive? You know, what has changed in your life since this all came to the forefront in the middle of March? Well, to be honest, not a lot has changed, Perk, and that's just because we are in the flu season as a medical field. And so, you know, we're already already on our P's and Q's with respect to um, personal protective equipment or otherwise known as PPE and good hand washing, good hand gene. I'm by no means saying I'm the perfect um, example, but the whole idea of having to wear a mask and be compliant with what is now being imposed in the Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex and that's wearing a mask is really not an issue. Um, it's just one other thing to be mindful of to, you know, to protect oneself. And um, I think exercise and diet and rest is like the, one of the main things that I've continued to do. And thankfully, you know, all is well. So if you head out to the grocery store, do you, uh, do you wear a mask and gloves? Um, so Dallas is now requiring a mask. Um, I honestly don't shop at the grocery store. I've, I've always done Instacart. Uh, when I go out to walk, I'm mask-free. I have no problems walking around with, um, without PPE on to, to go out and about and do what I need to do um, in my home, around my home, walking at the park, things like that. But I do just try to avoid um, public places where there are a lot of people. I know they're trying to separate out the amount of people in one setting, for example, such as a Walmart. Well, for me, that's just I cut all that out by just shopping online, um, right. and I'm I'm thankful that I'm in that position to do that. If you're not in a position to do that and you are wanting to go out, then I would recommend that you use the PPE at your discretion. It's it's strictly you know a level of comfort that you have to be okay with. You know, before we we run out of time, I do want to ask you if you could. Um, crystal ball it a little bit. And, and I know that medical people <laughs> hate when, when they get asked these questions because nobody knows for sure what's going to happen. But, but if you were to crystal ball it, what is the recovery from this look like? Is it a gradual phasing back in? Are we going to have a rebound in the fall? Is, is warm weather of the summer, uh, is it going to tamp this thing down? What, what, when you look in the Cat Johnson crystal ball, share with us what you see in there. Okay, Burke. Well, I am a, 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 I do like to plan ahead. Um, okay. If I had a crystal ball, I honestly feel like um, this is not going to go away. And it's, it's not going to go away anytime soon. And that's just because when you look at it from an epidemiological perspective, the time that it takes to actually develop a trend, meaning a pattern, when you see a pattern of behavior for a virus, it takes it takes a minute. Um, that could be six to eight months. It could be three to five years. But we have the data that shows um, how it is operating and its proliferation and the incubation time and things like that. I know I'm throwing a lot of terms at you, but my point is 
I don't feel like it will be an issue that will be an open and shut case. Um, right. We have had plenty of examples with SARS and hand, foot, and mouth and, you know, influence A and B and how it can just get really, really um, exacerbated during certain years um, in which it has come and gone. But the season for it is, I think, to be determined, and it boils down to how we uh, how we address it now as to whether or not it will perseverate. And that means not just how often it happens, but for how long it lasts. And so the more conservative we are with doing those things that protect us from the outside in versus the ins out, meaning using uh, good hand hygiene and social distancing, things like that, that's what's going to help in the long run because if you're disciplined enough to do that on a regular basis, which we should already be washing our hands well anyway, then that's going to protect your immune system overall. It it doesn't have to just be the coronavirus. It could be anything. The, The basic principles that we've all been taught to do on a consistent basis, keyword consistency, that is what will address any virus. And that's where the self-government comes in. All right, fair enough. So, so last question then. I, I want to throw some things at you and ask you, you know, whether you're going to do them and, and, and when. So when is Kat Johnson going to go out to a restaurant again? <laughs> you know, you're asking me questions, and my friends and family, they know me. I don't like going out to restaurants either. Um, wow. I will go when when the governor, when the mayor, when they're all on the same page and they allow it, I will go. I have no problem supporting small businesses, especially the mom and pops. Um, as a matter of fact, I went into a local um, Italian restaurant from, from my house, right the street from my house. The owners are from Albania. And, you know, went in, got my takeout and kept going and no, no problem at all. A couple of weeks later, I'm still good. So I would go into a restaurant as soon as we have permission to do so. So when the governor gives the all clear, you have no problem sitting down in a restaurant. What about a movie theater? Would you go to the movies with no problem? Same thing. I'm a now. I am a movie aficionado. I love okay. Cinemark. I take my mother at times. We'll go catch a flick on Tuesday is the discount day. Yep. Would happily sit in a movie theater. No problem at all. Uh, would you go to a Dallas Mavericks game? Oh, well, that depends. Um, Who they're is, playing, huh? <laughs> am I, is, no, no, no. Is it a free seat or? <laughs> ah, I got you. We'll get Cuban Am I being invited or is Mark right. Cuban gonna, going to grace me with a ticket? Up. That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, I'm not, yeah, I'm not a that concert. rich to just be able to run to a game. <laughs> All right, I'm Dr. Sorry. Johnson. Now, now, what about a, a big event like that, though, a sporting event or a concert where, I mean, you're you're bumping up against other human beings? Freak you out, or would you do it? No, I I would do it again because it goes back to what I said earlier, and you can quote me on this. It's all about your immune system, your ability to fight off disease. So you're constantly being exposed, whether you're close by or far away. And it's the length of time also that factors in. But if you have a strong immune system, you can go anywhere and do whatever you want with the freedoms that we've been granted. 
All right, fair enough. So, uh, so if you are an older individual, if you've got pre-existing health conditions where maybe you have a lowered immunity system, you take that extra precaution. But if you're a reasonably healthy individual, you feel pretty good, then you think you're okay to get out and about. Kat Johnson is our, our guest today. We we got to wrap it up. I appreciate you though. You carved off some some very valuable time. And uh, Dr. Johnson, a public health researcher who also is one of the good guys out there. You don't believe me? Find her online. Check out Dr. Loves Healthcare. It's a nonprofit that Kat Johnson set up to help multicultural families with uh, continuity, coordination of care for pediatric rehabilitation therapies. And uh, you do good stuff. Keep it up, would you? Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for being on the Big Time Talker podcast today. Brought to you by our friends at SpeakerMatch.com. I'm Burke Allen. Wherever you go, stay safe, stay healthy, make it a great day. Bye, everybody.